Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Making Milestones podcast. Um, I am doing this one live now because I just spent 80 minutes recording this exact episode, only to have my app crash, and now I have to do it all over again because it's been like two months since I've posted a podcast, and I'm just, yeah, pretty pissed about this whole situation um, of it crashing because I think it was going to be a good one. But anyways, I'm going to try to redo it, and I also put like a question tab up on my Instagram if anyone has any questions because I might forget to include some of the information that I literally just spent so much time sharing. So I'm I'm rather disappointed if you can't tell. So um, anyways... Um, so for those of you who don't know, like I started, um, Milo with a different farrier in 2019, I think it was like October or November where I, I switched. Um, and right after that, I changed his diet to include some more supplements to promote hoof health. I took him off of like a lot of starch and sugar based diets and really cut back his grain. Not that he got a lot of grain anyways, because he's an easy keeper now that he has got the weight on. Like when he was really young, he was hard to put weight on because he had been so malnourished and there was like a period of time where we had to feed him a lot to get all the weight on. And then once he hit that point, he's been super easy to keep. So he was only really on a ration balancer, but I just made more of an effort to just use less grain and like add alfalfa cubes and alfalfa pellets to make it more forage based and then I added in zinc and copper for hoof health and he was already on biotin to promote the growth of the hoof just to help him grow out a more healthy hoof quicker. Um, and the reason why we did it in the winter time was the intention was just to kind of continue on a more conservative shoeing schedule before we eventually would try to pull his shoes um, as his feet grew out because the healthier the hoof, the easier the transition. So we started it then. Um, now I'm going to circle back to what the issues with his feet actually were. So um, being a rescue horse, he even when he was growing in the womb before he was actually born, his dam was super malnourished. So it was really difficult for him to actually grow normally and the health of his hooves suffered because of that. So he wasn't properly nourished in the womb like he did well enough that he survived the birth and that his dam survived the birth and everything um but then he like came out of the womb not properly nourished and then for two years after that was just not being properly taken care of because he wasn't being fed um and this meant that like when we got him and even after he was rescued by the SPCA and put on a fairly substantial amount of weight before I eventually got him his feet were very thin soled and he was a lot more tender footed on different types of footing than what a young horse like him should have been with a healthy hoof um but overall like they weren't terrible like he would have not been trimmed until his two-year-old year when he was rescued in april and they did a good job of like addressing some of the issues that come with a horse like never having been trimmed um oh also the other thing to add is for super young like growing horses like foals and um youngsters like yearlings and stuff since the hoof is still developing it is pretty important at that age to have them on like a regular cycle so that you can help ensure that they don't have long-lasting problems develop that will affect their ability to have good hooves in the future so the fact that he didn't have that is also a factor in this whole equation but anyways the main thing with his hooves is that he's extremely thin-soled and we x-rayed his feet I think when he was three 
Um, so we actually got a measurement on the sole and it was like 6.8 millimeters at that point, which is like less than half of the thickness that like a healthy sole is supposed to be. Um, so it was like obviously not very good. And I kept him barefoot from his two-year-old year to his three-year-old year, um, a decent, a decent ways into his three-year-old year. I'm pretty sure his first set of shoes was in 2016 at the very beginning of the year in January. Um, so he would have been three coming four. And leading up to this, like he was thin sold and he would, we would put hoof boots on him sometimes for just going hand walking on trail rides when he, or trail walks when he was younger um, and kind of did that. But he was just getting tender footed and we found that like the farriers we were using when they were trimming him, they were leaving the toe quite a bit longer than what they should have been because they were worried about making him too sore from just cutting the toe back when realistically they probably should have just done it and then helped his structure to adapt so that he could be more comfortable and start to develop a better wall and sole. Um, but anyways, they left the toe too long because they didn't want to make him sore. And then we were like, okay, well, like, should we put shoes on him so that you can cut the toe back more and he can be more comfortable? And then they were like, yeah, go for it. And we switched farriers a fair amount of time, like especially like between his three and four year old years, like we went through a few farriers because we were just having like a hard time finding someone that would actually trim the toe back. And our vets had said like, hey, like his toe needs to come back. Um, and then we x-rayed his feet in the three-year-old year because of how tender-footed he was. And we wanted to make sure there was like no other internal issues and so on and so forth. So at the start of his four-year-old year in like January, he got, or December, it was sometime in the winter, he got um, his first set of shoes. And he was not a good horse to shoe. Like he was very nervous and didn't really stand still. And all in all, just struggled with the concept of hot shoeing. And he still hates it. Like, even though if I had to hot shoe him right now, he would stand for it. But he is, like, very, very, very uncomfortable with it. He does not like it. Um, so anyways, starting out at that age when he was as poorly handled as he was and that young, um, he was not good for the farrier, which obviously made their entire job a lot more difficult um, when they are trying to fix him and do their thing and kind of, yeah, like make his feet better. So I'm not here to slam the farriers that initially were trying to help him out and get shoes on him and address his hoof issues. However, um, I'm going to acknowledge the fact that they weren't the best farriers for him, and I also can respect the fact that he made their job a lot harder because he wasn't very well behaved for the shoeing process. Um, so it was kind of like a collective problem, but anyways, it had the happen like the change with the farriers like not trimming him properly happens so slowly that like unless you're taking photos of their feet all the time you're not necessarily going to notice it because it's not such a drastic change that you'll look and go like oh my god that is so much worse than it was six months ago um and like I didn't know as much about hooves and feet back then so I was very much going off of like the expertise of people who were more knowledgeable than me which are the farriers that we were using um, so even when we did voice some concerns, they were kind of like brushed off and like, oh, like, oh, you don't understand, like, this is all part of the process. Um, but anyways, we used the first farrier that put shoes on him, I think, for maybe two or three cycles. And like literally within three months, now that I look back on it, 
he literally underran his heel so badly and made the toe so long that he honestly had like flipper feet and his heel was like on the ground and like horrendously underrun within the matter of months um and we really didn't like the look of it we were concerned the farrier kind of brushed it off and then we eventually got a new farrier um and we spoke to the vet x-rayed his feet the vet was like the toe needs to come back there's like a lot of toe there um when they're looking at the x-rays to see where the bones in his feet were and then we also saw how thin his soles were um they're like yeah it really needs to come back and we got a new farrier who was like yeah yeah yeah. like we can get the toe back and like deal with it and their solution was like to put on like a wedge pad and like a pad to cover the sole in a traditional steel shoe like the whole this whole time he was in traditional steel shoes um just to clarify um so then the wedge pad like did bring up his heel so like functionally when you're just looking at the height of the heel without factoring in the shape of the foot without the wedge it did look better and they cut his toe back more than what the other farrier did but it was still too long and then the problem with like the sole pad and the traditional metal shoe is that he didn't really have adequate frog support so he couldn't really build the structures that he needed to to continue bettering his soles and getting a better foot so while the pad made it more comfortable for him to walk around on hard ground and over rocks it didn't actually deal with the problem itself of like needing to grow more sole because he's not going to develop more sole um, by never using his feet on the ground so um the farrier kind of started off treating the toe a little bit more aggressively and it was shorter than the horrendously longness that it was before so it looks better to us and then like over time like changes just stopped happening as drastically and it kind of like stagnated and his feet grow really fast so for like a normal horse that might have a certain amount of growth in like six to eight weeks he would have that amount of growth in like three to four weeks um and like my farrier told me at the time to pull him off of biotin because of this so i did that for a time being but like biotin is very good for like hoof hair and nail health um so i didn't love that idea but like we also were at the point where basically he would grow so much in a matter of weeks that like everything that was adjusted was kind of undone and it got to the point where we even had him like on a four-week schedule for shoes which i'm sure you can imagine how expensive that is um and they were still too long and underrun and like we were touching base with the vets and like kind of just making a plan but i didn't really feel like the farrier was like respecting the expertise of the vets at all and like it was kind of like an us versus them mentality where the farrier was like oh well like if they think they know better than me like why don't they come and do it and it's like well, like, yeah, vets aren't, like, farriers, so they're not doing the exact same job as you, but their job still means that they have an understanding of, like, how messing up the structure, like, as important as a hoof can affect the rest of the body, and they were concerned, but their concerns weren't being properly listened to by the farrier, and they weren't referencing the x-rays in the way that they should have, and it prolonged the entire process, and it was also hard for me at the time back then because I didn't know enough to, like, actually confidently argue and like advocate for myself and the horse and um i kind of just assumed that like i was the idiot in the equation and we kind of just kept pressing for the x-rays to be taken into account and there were times where like they were kind of and then it just like slowed the whole process 
uh, and the whole thing like related to this too is also amplified the fact by the fact that like at the time like the whole goal was to like have him be comfortable and sound for like riding and showing on whereas like the farriers could have said like hey to like make the changes he needs and to like help him the way that we need to long term you will not be going on trails or riding on hard ground or riding period for like x amount of weeks or months or you shouldn't be jumping they didn't say any stuff like that so the priority was like very much keeping him so that he could continue to ride and compete and that was like more of my priority at the time too because I didn't realize like how severe the problem was and anyways long story short I'm pretty sure his feet being so low heeled and under run was largely the reason he had his um, collateral ligament injury several years ago it was a very very minor one he was never actually unsound on it he passed flexions he wasn't off but he got some fill in that leg and it was something we noticed and he was also just like tripping sometimes under saddle so those were how we found it and we ended up ultrasounding and x-raying the leg discovering the injury he then had time off but basically like the angle of the foot being improper puts more pressure on different structures of the legs and hoof that shouldn't be taking as much impact as they are because of the angles of the foot so it all kind of plays into that and I wish I had started dealing with this sooner but like you kind of live and you learn and you can only do with what you have knowledge on at the moment and it was like a mistake to not address it sooner or to not try to find different farriers that were more willing to try like new techniques um, or like critically look at like the best way to like for him to rehab his feet so it, it's like a multifaceted issue and like one thing I do want to make clear because I had like there is like this video on TikTok where people were like shit talking like influencers that they hated so like of course I came up and there is like this one person in particular that was making claims that like I said his feet are great and have never seen an issue with them and now all of a sudden I'm addressing the issue even though I should have before and I want to clarify that like we never thought his feet were great he was a rescue horse he was malnourished he never got to develop properly we never thought that his feet were fantastic which is why I have routine x-rays of said feet from the time he was three up until now and the thing is we just didn't realize that the problem was as severe as it was because we were being misled by so many different farriers and I cannot stress this enough it's not like we stayed with the same farrier for lengthy periods of time and just continued to have like BS peddled to us we tried lots of different people and most of them had the same problems with him where they would not know how to adequately address it and didn't necessarily take the advice from the vets seriously and even though it was only like five and six years ago where like this was like super ongoing like there's still like I didn't know of like the alternatives to steel shoes like beyond aluminum because they weren't like super advertised and the ones that were farriers very much would shoot it down like the traditional steel shoed farriers they weren't really into trying a lot of these new products or they'd say they weren't good or they just like you wouldn't hear about them because you wouldn't be told and if you don't know something exists you can't really like look it up to learn about it so anyways it was like a mistake to not address it more aggressively sooner and obviously I regret that but I can't go back in time so all I can do is look at like what I know now use the knowledge I have now and make the difference that I can now um, and that's also why I share this information because I want to make it very very clear that like 
if you realize that something you've been doing with your horse is not the best, it's not shameful to change the way you're doing things for the betterment of the horse. It doesn't make me a hypocrite. It makes me a normal person, an adult who recognizes growth and experiences growth. And anyone who is too proud to look back on their mistakes and make changes in fear of like looking like a hypocrite is not experiencing personal growth. Because I've changed my riding and my outlook on horse training a lot over the years. And it's not because I'm being a hypocrite, it's because I'm growing as every equestrian should as they learn more as a rider and gain more experience. So I'm sure my views will continue to change because they're fluid, they're not rigid, and I'm happy to discuss the why behind them. I just wish that people would ask before judging because I'm sure now, even with like how little I've posted about Milo the last while, like I'm sure people have wild theories about the why behind it and probably think the, the situation is a lot more severe than it actually is. Um, but anyways, so I wish I had dealt with it sooner. We put a lot of trust into farriers that weren't necessarily giving us the best information or going about the best way of handling it. And like a lot of these farriers were super well known in the area and they're not bad farriers. They just weren't the right ones for him. Um, so basically like for years he was in like a pad with like a, sh with a shoe and like a, like a wedge pad for a while. And then eventually he got taken off of the wedge pad and just had like regular pads to protect the sole and his soles were still so thin that like if he went over like large crushed rock like he would be sore through the pads um so like wasn't great and like his sole depth really didn't change at all like when we redid the x-rays it was like very much still the same like it went from like 6.8 to 7.2 basically and then just stayed there um and the quality of like his hooves weren't great he was having like rings from nutritional changes and also just general discomfort and swelling in the hoof when he like stone bruised himself and I was told consistently by the farriers at the time that that was normal even though we were like hey like why does he have rings like why is his hoof not smooth why is it dipping down from the coronet band this doesn't look normal it like doesn't say it's normal when we look it up and all of that was like brushed off and basically just said that like okay like yeah like you don't know what you're talking about it takes time to change the hooves and like then the other thing to factor in is since we had tried a lot of different farriers part of the thing is that like when you're getting your horse in like a rehab program for anything like even if you're not 100% on board with the way it's going you don't really want to go like buzzing from person to person and just changing who's working with them because if it is something that's like time related and that they need time to make the adjustments switching people all the time means that like you're getting tons of different techniques used on the same horse all the time. So there was like a certain need to like give people at least a chance to see if they could make a difference. And anyways, so it kind of got like more and more where we were trying to like find out a way to find someone that was going to honestly say something to us and like actually like take our concerns into account and also work more closely with our vets. So it took time like honestly this is like a several year long endeavor of like trying to deal with what was going on with him and then the other thing to factor in is like after he had that collateral ligament injury which I think was as a five year old 
um he had rehab time from that and like during rehab is like really not the time to try to go about changing farriers or altering the horse's lifestyle too much so then we weren't really doing much in that regard um because he was rehabbing an injury and was just off and we didn't want to like uproot his life and then it was like a long-term rehab because we didn't want to re-injure the leg or make things worse and with soft tissue injuries you don't really screw with them at all so we didn't really do anything drastic then um and then he came back from the injury really well and again like my vets were like we really need to address his feet because we think that played a role in the injury and da 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 and so we were requesting again like hey like we're concerned about this like da 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 and then from there we started to make more changes the farrier started to kind of work with us a little and make more drastic adjustments to his feet um and then what happened was um it just kind of like there is some progress and then it stagnated and again like the adjustments happen subtly enough that it, like you can't see the hoof grow in like real time so it's a little bit harder to realize unless you're frequently taking photos and reassessing them over the course of months or years so his foot had improved from how it was like in the very first year of having him shod like it wasn't the underrun ski foot that was like super horrible and like I'm gonna do a YouTube video on this too so I can include photos because I think that just talking about it doesn't really give people the best idea of like what was actually happening so I will post photos eventually and do the video eventually but I just want more time to kind of retake some x-rays to see where his soul is at and stuff but anyways so it was like harder to kind of keep track of like how much of a difference was being made or how fast they are supposed to being like be made and like how fast everything's supposed to be going and there wasn't like as much ready access to find out all these new advances in like horseshoeing and like one of my biggest bones to pick with the whole farrier industry is the fact that like we've been using steel shoes for like centuries and there's been very little change into like the structure of them even though we now know like a, how the hoof works a lot more and we know which which types of materials are like the most shock absorbing and we know metal is not a shock absorbing material and that it means that the hoof is in a rigid shoe that doesn't flex or expand when they strike the ground so it would inevitably increase impact um, and these are just advances that haven't really been made because um, like I think it's a lot because of the people that are making the money off of stuff and like wanting to hot shoe and stuff it would require them to completely uproot their way of doing things and that would then mean that they have to go back to school or learn how to use different materials and it would be more of a pain in the ass so I think that's a large part of it and then also you have all the companies that are supplying all of the stuff we've been using for years for farrier stuff that don't want to go out of business so we'll do whatever they can to convince people what the best way of doing things is so it's like a multifaceted issue and there's been like not as much growth in the farrier industry that as you would expect especially when you consider like how important the hoof is to the overall health of the horse um but anyway so in like um 2018 slash 2019 ish um we were kind of like yeah i was just going about my business doing horse things kind of just still riding and schooling milo and his feet had gotten better but they still were not good um and then when i wanted to get studs put in his 
shoes so that I could compete him on grass. I couldn't get my regular farrier out because they were too busy. So I got one recommended to me from a client and it's the farrier that I use now. So she came out and she saw his feet and she's like, holy shit, like you need to get that heel up and back under his bulbs because it's so underground and his toe is way too long. And she actually took the initiative and like the time to explain things to me in like a factual manner like not in a way where it's like oh you're like a stupid non-farrier peasant I'm going to explain this to you like you're an idiot no she took the time to clearly explain things to me in a way where I actually like came out learning a lot and having a new way of thinking of things and then it just kind of grew my concerns more and more and I was just not very happy with how things were going and I was obviously wanting Milo to be as comfortable and happy as possible and make sure that we weren't going to be doing lasting damage to him. So from there, we kind of started the journey of changing up his diet. So the main thing for that was, um, yeah, adding the zinc, copper, and biotin back into his diet and making sure he was on low sugar hay and as little grain and starchy stuff as possible. So... That was like the biggest change for diet. And then I still kept him in shoes because um, we were initially like we like she told me in order to actually like better his soles, like he needs to have compression and like some level of contact with the ground and frog support and all that jazz. So basically, like then it was like, OK, we're going to give him some time to actually absorb these nutrients and grow new hoof because. The change in diet is only going to affect new growth. It's not going to affect the existing hoof. So it takes a lot of time to grow the hoof completely from coronet band out to toe. So we started him on the new supplements over the winter. And then for the time being, what we did do is we use this casting material, which is like the same thing as if you broke your arm. It's like that wrap stuff that they would wrap around your arm and um, like use to um yeah cast your arm so we use that and it made it so that we could nail into his hoof better for the steel shoes currently and then the casting material goes on the underside of their sole too so it compresses against the frog and provides more support that way so he got some more frog support it protected his sole in a similar way to a pad but where it's like actually more compressed and more supportive against the hoof and then it meant that instead of nailing into his walls, which were really weak and unhealthy, we were able to nail into the cast, which in turn would damage his walls less. So we did that over the winter and kind of tried to like aggressively start taking back his toe and helping the heel go back to where it is supposed to be. His right front is significantly worse than the left front. That's like his really long underrun foot that we were having the most problems with. And it's also the one that he had the tendon injury on. So... Um, we were doing that over the winter and kind of just kept him in that setup until probably January. And then we started doing porin pads, which are, they do the, like, it's this polymer. You put like mesh on the underside of the hoof before you put the shoe on. Um, and then you pour the polymer in it, sticks to the mesh. And it basically just makes like a pad out of polymer. That's like a jelly like substance that really compresses against the frog and supports it like a pad, but like a properly like against the hoof properly fitted pad rather than like one of the plastic or leather pads that you just nail on and kind of sit over top of the hoof. So that helped support his um, soles more and it helped 
get a little bit more growth in the sole. And it definitely helps him with increasing the health of his frog and starting to develop the health of his foot to function more normally. And from there, we eventually, like, COVID hit in 2020, and I was like, okay, shows are canceled. There's literally no better time to start planning to, like, transition him to barefoot than right now. So let's just do it. So then we just started casting his feet without the shoe on. So basically the cast would work as, like, almost like a hoof boot, but um, it would gradually kind of wear down over time so he wasn't just, like, all of a sudden directly on the ground with his soles. It would just be, like, slowly where he'd start to feel more stuff through the cast so it's not, like, a shock. And then so from there we got to um, – get him like used to the casting and he was doing really well in the casting without the cast he was really sore on his soles because they were still like extremely thin and also they weren't concave like they're supposed to be so they were really flat soled and we knew that the bones inside his hoof were too flat as well so they weren't as protected as what they should have been so he was very sore especially on hard ground um so we did the cast for a while, then I bought the scoot boots. I couldn't use the scoot boots with the cast on, so we took the cast off. I tried to keep the scoot boots on him in turnout, and that didn't work long term because he got such bad rubs from them. He can wear them and work, and he won't get rubbed by them, but having them on all the time just wasn't good, and he's a very sensitive-skinned horse, so it wasn't something that was going to work long term. And then that's where I contacted Forma Hoof and got interested in doing that, and they said if I sent them some x-rays, we could work out a deal and kind of just use him as like a test dummy for seeing how it can develop the sole and fix this fairly significant hoof issue. So I got Forma Hoof in August and we started doing the Forma Hoof then. And it's a really cool product. It's just honestly insanely expensive. Like the mold that you have to pour the polymer into that you need to do the entire application costs like $700 Canadian. And then the polymer you buy in sets of 12 and it's honestly like probably $30 or more per tube of polymer and he needed two tubes per foot for the size of for the size of um for the size of like foot that he has um so it was very expensive um and the one thing I was super disappointed about um I was pretty upset by the fact that um, it didn't stay on very well, and also we had polymer failures. So the polymer tubes, they have two different types of liquid that mix together and then cause the chemical reaction that causes the polymer to harden and um, set to the foot. And then the polymer would fail in the tube and it would start to come out the side so it wouldn't properly mix. And then you'd have this issue where it wouldn't work, it wouldn't set. The things would fall off of his feet and then you've wasted like collectively like $200 just for the materials, um, which was very frustrating. So we had like my farrier and I talked to Formahoof about this and we told him what's going on. They're like, oh, it's too hot in the summer. You need to put it in the fridge and make it fridge temperature and then it won't fail. We did that. It still failed and we still ended up wasting a few tubes. And then they said, oh, the fridge temperature is too cold. The optimal temperature range for it is... 12 degrees to like 23 or 24 degrees and we're like well it's not really hot here in Canada and we've been well within that range when it's been getting used and it still failed and then they were like oh well like you have to have it we can't replace it because you didn't follow the rules and we're like um optimal just means like that's for best results it doesn't mean that the product will completely shit the bed and not work if you're not within that range so that was really frustrating but with that said 
Um, it worked. Like, it helped to double his soul depth. So he went from, like, 7.2 to 15 millimeters, which is pretty significant, especially in such a short period of time. Um, but it was so expensive. And, like, the other thing I didn't like about it is since it came out, so, since it came off so much, um, it meant that he'd, like, have it on and we'd, like, even lost it during trail rides and stuff. So we'd lose it halfway out and you can't put it back on because it's a polymer that sticks and sets to the foot. It's not, like, a hoof boot or anything that you can get back on. It's just gone. And then it would screw him over because he'd throw it and then have to go back on, like, heavy-duty rocks and other stuff. I would never ride him without a hoof boot on, but I was counting on the form of hoof to kind of be there um, for him, and it wasn't. Um the so anyways that was really frustrating and it meant that he got like bruising and he'd get sore in between applications so that like he'd just start getting better and then it would fall off and then he'd get more bruising um and then um he like was like the the difference in the sole still made me keep using it through the winter so I used it from about August to March of this year so for quite a while but it was just costing me so much money and like the final straw for all of it um um the the final straw for all of it was the fact um that we like did an application recently where I like like we did everything we were in between the temperature range we even got like a hot water bottle to put on it if there was like any problem with the temperature if it was cooler we did one application perfectly, and then the other one, just, like, we set it. We followed all the instructions for how long it's supposed to be on, and then we pulled the mold off, and the entire thing just came off into the mold. There was nothing on his foot. It wasted more polymer, and I was so pissed because, like, honestly, we've had, like, I can probably count on one hand the number of applications that actually, like, worked and stayed on for as long as they're supposed to. Um, and then there was just other little irritations, like the fact, like only in the first kit, do they give you the mesh that you need to put into, um, into the, um, um, into the, like the mold to get it to stick to the foot. Um, so they only sent it with like the first box and then they just tell you like, oh, go order this brand off of Amazon, which I did. And they didn't tell me what percentage of shade like there. It's just shading material that you're supposed to use like outside. It's not actually specifically four feet, but there's a certain percentage of UV coverage that you're supposed to have because if you get too much of it, the polymer doesn't go through it properly and then it won't stick to the foot. They failed to tell me this. I got 10 percent more than what I was supposed to. And then it fell off immediately. So I wasted two or three applications from that. And that was really frustrating. Um, and then the other problem with it was the fact, like, if you're riding on really rocky terrain or on concrete, like, riding down the road, even at the walk, it gets really slippery, especially once the little um, traction studs wear off. And then the other problem with the traction studs is even outside of walking on concrete is I found that they packed dirt in them really quickly, like, kind of like how snow packs in a regular shoe where they get, like, high heels from it. And I hated that because it's really bad for their angles. And it shouldn't be packing that badly but it did like consistently basically all the time and I do live in a wet climate so it's more likely to happen in my climate but that was also a design flaw that I didn't like and then the sliding on concrete or rocks is honestly just dangerous like it's worse than in a metal shoe um 
With that said, the product is not a bad product. It's just too expensive for how unpredictable it is. Like, it did work really well, and who knows if he would have had the same change in his soul depth if we had used something else. Like, it was a pretty profound change in a matter of months. So I will give them that in saying, like, that's really great, and it works well for, like, the purpose we got it for. Um, so it, like, it works, but, like, the cost is not... It, it like it's unattainable for a lot of people especially if you're just paying a farrier to do the whole application and they own all the materials because a lot of farriers charge like four hundred dollars to do it and that's not attainable for people for repeated use um and then also like if you're charging that much for a product in my opinion it should be basically infallible or if it does fail you should be covering the cost of the failed product rather than just being like oh you're shit out of luck even though we're charging like an insane markup on this stuff and I found that really frustrating because I think the product has so much potential but I don't really love how a lot of the stuff was handled pertaining to how it worked and I think the cost is just not it's not an, like it's too high to actually make people willing to try something new that could potentially really help their horse like if you're having to put out like a thousand dollars right off the bat just to get the thing to even try it a lot of people don't like want to do that because it's risky um so it that was all frustrating but like i said the product itself is not a bad product the cost that's the problem and just like how unpredictable it was like it works really well for some people they started selling a new type of mesh that they sell with the stuff which actually makes sense and apparently it works way better according to my farrier but at that point i was already so frustrated with it that i was just like fuck it um, let's do something else. So my farrier suggested Duplo shoes, which are this rubber shoe that has frog support. So the rubber flexes way more than metal does. So it's more like the um, the initial like type. It's more it's more like a, how a hoof would naturally flex. So it's a good middle ground to put on a horse when they still need some protection. But your goal is to help promote the hoof structure that will eventually allow them to be comfortable barefoot. Um, so it supports the frog. They're rubber, which also means that um, for horses that need hind shoes, if they are out with other horses, there's less risk associated with it because it's not like wearing brass knuckles, like what wearing a steel shoe would be. Um, they're rubber, so they're nice and soft and super flexible, which is great. So it's safer if you need hind shoes. And we decided to do hind shoes on him to just help us fix the hind feet angle. His hind, his hind feet have a way better sole, but the angles were still not great. So we did it so we could be more aggressive in how we trim those feet without causing him pain. So he has them on all four now, and I, this is my first cycle with them. So he's not had them on for a long time. But I really like them. He's moving really well. He's doing super well in them. And I like the overall concept of them because it actually makes sense. Like the material used is shock absorbing. So I call them Nikes because it actually makes sense for like if you're putting a material on an athletic animal, it shouldn't be one that's going to make it harder for them to absorb shock if you want them to be sound and healthy in the future. So... That's good, um, and yeah, I'm happy with how that's going, and then we're just going to kind of see how his sole depth continues to go and how the angles continue to change, because when you're changing the structure of the feet and the angles that they're standing on, their entire body has to adjust to it, because you're standing up all of the soft tissues, muscles, tendons, ligaments differently than what they would have been used to before, so it's an adjustment period um, that takes some time, so... 
Um, on top of that, with the fact that the form of hoof, like, periodically just came off, and he was just kind of forced to tough it out on ground all of a sudden, where his angles just suddenly changed, because the form of hoof helps wedge the underrun heels to show the heel where to grow to and where to go, and help change the shape of the foot. So when it comes off, it's a pretty drastic change on top of having no protection of the sole. So he would periodically get bruising, and then as soon as he started to heal from the bruising, the next one would come off. So the nice thing about these shoes is that since they've stayed on, like, he's actually been able to heal from the bruising that was caused by the applications always failing. Um, and then since he hasn't been on nail-on shoes in a year and a half, his hoof wall has, like, immensely improved, so it's way stronger, way easier to nail into, and he's not throwing shoes or damaging the integrity of his wall like how he was before. So that part's really great. Um, and then the other thing was the fact that, um, like, they're way cheaper than Forma Hoof. Like, they're still more expensive than traditional metal shoes, but you can reuse them more than what you could typically reuse a steel shoe for more cycles. Like my farrier said, they typically last like two or three cycles, but it ultimately like depends on the terrain the horse is turned out on, like how often they're ridden, what we're ridden on. So it varies. But even if you had to replace them every shoeing, it's not that much more expensive. Um, and then it also helps like the foot actually function normally. So that's really good. I'm a fan of them thus far. And then eventually the goal is going to be to have him go barefoot once he's comfortable. But honestly, I really don't care if he has to wear these for good so long as they help continue like helping the natural structures of his feet because the steel shoes gave him super contracted heels and his digital cushion was absolutely terrible. And it just made it so that he didn't have the shock, shock absorbing structures of the feet that he's supposed to have. And it wasn't good long term. So now we have something on him that actually functionally makes sense and has been helping him. His heels are way less underrun. They've come up. The health of his feet is significantly better. As I said, with his sole, the sole is much thicker and he's got some concavity. Um, so all of the things are like going really positively for him. And... Um, it's been working out really well, and I've also learned a lot about, like, alternatives to regular shoeing that will help the horse in the long run, um, which is really great. So, yeah, basically the main reason for having the, um, the Duplo shoes instead of scoop boots is that the scoop boots would rub him if left on full time, and the Duplos actually just have more, um, they have, like, more shot, like, they help support the foot better than a scoop boot does because it's not just flat along the bottom. Um, and they press like directly against the frog to give frog support. I posted a video of the under, I mean, not a video, a photo of the underside on my extras account on Instagram. But also if you just Google Duplo shoes, it's D-U-P-L-O. You can see all the different types that they have because they have some that are also specifically set up for horses with underrun heels to help address that um, and they were sold out of that specific type when we first started on him so I'm gonna get those for his next cycle once he wears through these ones but um, there's a lot of cool options and it also actually just helps the natural hoof be healthy and okay to like okay to continue developing in the manner it should rather than having something like a steel shoe make it so that the hoof can't function the way it's supposed to and thereby cannot gain strength um, so yeah, that's kind of his hoof journey. Um, and then the reason why he's not been getting like posted a ton on my account and hasn't like 
been like like I haven't posted a ton about him like the last several months like I used to post him all the time and like I'm sure people think that he's like lame or that I'm not riding him and basically in short like what happened is in October he had a very stressful trail ride um on Halloween where we kind of got like stuck on the side of a mountain they had to do like insane endurance horse trails that were on like narrow rocky passages on the side of a mountain and I'm so lucky he's so sure-footed because the form of hoof was absolutely terrible it was like walking in ice skates um and sliding around but he the worst part of the whole thing was the fact that like when we finally got off the mountain the only way to get out instead of turning around and coming back the way we just came which would be like another three to four hours of riding just to get back it's this tiny little like fence passage where they have like you walk in straight and then an immediate turn to the left and then you walk straight again immediate turn to the right walk straight again and then you're out so it's like this little corral it's supposed to make it so if a horse gets loose they can't easily just keep running and get loose but they made it too narrow and they made the turns too sharp so like a normal sized horse would very much struggle to get in there and Milo is afraid of doorways because as a two-year-old he was chased out of an in-and-out stall by a barn employee and caught his hip so he has a problem with narrow doorways and I had to make him go through this thing because there is no other way back unless we just did the exact same ride all over again which was not safe and I didn't want to take him alone away from Percy and Pogo because it wouldn't be fair to ask all of them to do it again and the forest around it was too dense. There was a lake on one side of it that had steep drops to get down to, so not safe for a horse. And then on the other side of this thing, there was like a gas pipe um, that was too high to jump over and too low to walk a horse under. So we were screwed. Um, anyways, so I had to make him get through this thing, stand really patiently and just like wait for him to build up the courage. And once he finally did it, he was just like so mentally fried that he was like passaging and grinding, like open mouth chewing and just upset, even though he was bitless. Um, so he was so upset the whole way back, like absolutely fried. And like, honestly, like he, he probably had like minor ulcers before this, but like it aggravated them because the behavioral change following this was like substantial. He stopped wanting to go forward, even on the lunge line. He didn't want to go more than a walk. He was cranky and just not wanting to participate. Um, and it was like really not good. So I was concerned about him because it was such a stark difference in his behavior that I like didn't want to keep pushing him to work because I felt bad. So then we took him in for the gastroscope to check for his ulcers. And then we did like a full lameness exam, x-rayed his feet, his hocks, his fetlocks, um, and, um, stifles and just checked to make sure that everything was okay he had some bruising from constantly losing the form of hoof after this um since this was back in the fall in november when he still was wearing form of hoof so he had some deep tissue bruising in the front right foot which is his problem foot um which aggravated the problem as well. So anyways, he started on a course of GastroGuard for a month, and I also treated him with sucralfate for hindgut ulcers following that. So he was very unhappy with the fact that he had to get medicine twice a day and be fasted for it when I was on the sucralfate. Um, and that wasn't fun. And then from there, since he has a locking stifle issue, that's because of the fact that he was starved and didn't get to build muscle in the normal way um, like a young horse should. 
Um, he then got sticky from his locking stifle. Like, it hasn't locked in quite some time, but it just gets, like, kind of stiff and so that he doesn't really want to, like, move out and just uncomfortable. So I gave him a ProStride shot, which is, like, where they take some of the blood and they make, like, a serum that they then inject into the joint that helps with um, healing and restoring any, like, like helping with any irritation so it's not like a corticosteroid where it degrades the joint and it's a lot more aggressive it's um a remedy that like 98% of the horses that he did in the studies for it didn't need another one after a year and it actually helps them heal whatever irritation was bothering them so we did that it helped and then basically all of the months following that are just trying to like counter condition his negative association with going forward and make him want to work again because he was quite cranky and just backed off and I was having to like yeah do a lot of groundwork and just be like hey dude it doesn't hurt your stomach's not gonna slosh around and irritate your ulcers anymore um, and then it was only until recently where I kind of started him back in like a full work program because I was doing like a lot of um, groundwork and then just going for hacks and doing stuff that he found like fun and not difficult um, just to help reframe his thinking and help change his attitude that was like poisoned by how uncomfortable the ulcers made him. And then recently we did another uh, lameness exam, which I had my vet do under saddle. So I rode him for it because his behavior had been worse under saddle than what it was um, for lunging, even though he was still quite backed off on the lunge line. And then after that, I put him back into a more regular program and gradually started bringing him back into work and doing more with him. So that's kind of why he's been off for a while, because I just didn't see the point in like doing more with him. And like there wasn't anything like soundness wise that would have prevented him from jumping. But it was just like if he's cranky and not wanting to go forward, it's first of all, not safe to jump. And secondly, it's just not fair to him. So that's why, like, I recently posted, like, oh, his first jump since August. And people are like, oh, well, why hasn't he jumped since then? And it's like because he doesn't need to. So um, <laughs> that's kind of. That's kind of like the whole journey with regards to him and everything that he's been going through recently. Um, it's all been very much about like trying to just make sure he's comfortable and happy and deal with that because he really, really wasn't happy at all um, at following the ulcers. So it's been a time to address that. And then obviously like the hoof issues and changing his angles, bettering the health of his feet, making him more comfortable. All of that has also improved his attitude towards work and helps reduce his stress because if they're uncomfortable, they're more likely to get stressed by things and thereby be reactive. Um, so now, like, I'm kind of just doing stuff that he likes. I've been mostly riding him bridalist because he likes that best and just allowing him to continue having self-expression, but encouraging and promoting and rewarding relaxation and the behaviors I want to see and, like, willingness because he was just so backed off because of the ulcers. Um, and it's just been dedicated to help reframe his thinking and work because, like, my thing is, like, he's a very spirited horse who's super communicative and there's a distinct difference in his behavior, like when he's playing and like doing stuff because he's exuberant and excited versus when he's uncomfortable and doesn't want to do something because it's either too stressful for him or he's 
uncomfortable physically um, because even in turnout in the field, like he really likes to buck and play like bucking is his favorite thing to do. I watch him do it all the time with his friends. And when something excites him and he likes to chase birds, he likes to strike out at animals. Like he is the type of horse that like when he's curious about something, his go-to thing is to kind of go up to it and chase it. And if it runs, he wants to follow it more. Um, which is why I think he actually might have like some Lusitano or Andalusian in him because he acts like a freaking bullfighting horse. And he also has similar hind end conformation to how they do. So I don't know. That's completely random. But anyways, that aside, he's like a very expressive, excitable, happy horse who likes to play. And his favorite thing to do when playing is leaping in the air, striking, bucking. But there's an a, there's a distinct difference between those types of behaviors and then like the types of bucking that he does when he's like stressed or unhappy or sore. Um, so it's very much been about like watching him and how he behaves and learning how to distinguish between his behaviors. Um, with that said, he really like I know he's got a reputation for being like a bucker, but like honestly like all of the videos people reference and think of when they're thinking that are generally from his rehab period or when he's quite a bit younger because he's not really been like that for quite some time like he used to get really stressed at shows and then he was like leaping around like an orangutan and just being like so stressed and unpredictable and bucking and like those weren't playful bucking it was like I am overstimulated and I need to find an outlet for all this nervous energy that I have um, like that and it was like the same type of thing for his rehab too because he was on paddock rest and he couldn't get to do as much and I couldn't lunge him because he wasn't supposed to go on circles so everything was just very overstimulating and he reacted because of that and like there are times still where like if something really exciting happens that makes him nervous or something surprises him he'll sometimes have these big reactions and then use it as a reason to go like run around and play like for example a uh, eagle caught something in their field the other day it pulled a rabbit out of their field he saw it it initially scared him so he kind of scooted off away from it and then he used it as a reason to kind of come back circle back round on the eagle and chase it as it went flying away and then go play with percy um so sometimes it might be like an initial surprise or fear response and it turns into like a, an excitatory, playful reaction to kind of redirect the energy, I guess. Um, so there's a distinct difference in the behaviors, but I know he has a reputation of being like that, which is like even on photos now and like videos of him now where he's like literally not doing anything wrong. People are like, oh, wow, like he doesn't buck anymore. And it's like, guys, go look at how long ago most of those videos are from because like... I like all of the recent stuff of like him jumping or recent as in like when he has jumped. So the last time before the other day would have been from August Thunderbird. All of that stuff like he's like a very different horse. If you watch his behavior in those videos of those courses versus the ones that people are thinking of from the beginning of his career when he stopped at everything and was bucking and insanely stressed. So he's a very different horse because he like he, he's nine this year. Like he's a mature man now. He's grown out of the young kid phase he's more established in himself he's less nervous he's more confident we fine-tuned our relationship and connection with each other even more than what we had before and there's more understanding and consideration on my part because I've tried to develop my knowledge of equine behavior more so I can help him out when he does get stressed or frustrated more than what I would have been able to prior so there's some big changes in him and he's like 
a very much a different horse than what he used to be. Like, as I record this, he is having a lesson with a 13-year-old girl, which I need to go out and watch soon. Devin Rain. Oh, yeah, they're trotting around. Nice. Okay, I'm going to go out and watch soon, so I'll end this live now. Um, um, not right now, but I'll end it soon. So what I'm saying is that he's a very different horse from the horse that people perceive him to be based off of, like, the videos of his that got the most popular because people found him the most interesting to watch when he was the most stressed. Um and like those are the videos that got the most views and a lot of people probably haven't seen the ones where he's being a different horse so i just want to clarify the fact that like he's a very good boy like i ride him bridalist anywhere i could honestly go take him through a drive-through bridalist ride on the side of a highway bridalist and he would do it i wouldn't do it for safety reasons just in case because people drive like dickheads um but what I'm trying to say is, like, he's a reliable, dependable horse, but he's also spirited, and I want him to retain that spirit and be able to have fun and have expression in our rides um, within reason. And even in cases where he's nervous, like, I would rather have him kind of do, like, a crow hop or do something to relieve some of that tension than to just internalize it and be nervous all the time. Um, so... Yeah, like to a certain extent, I do let him express himself even when he's nervous because I want him to relieve some of that. And there is like there's a lot of studies done on horses where they do have some of these like stress reactions where they'll behave a certain way. And it serves the purpose for like allocating that nervous energy and redirecting it to a response that serves a purpose of relieving some of that anxiety. But anyways, with that said, he's a way less nervous horse. He's a lot more rideable. He's not dangerous. And I just want to reiterate this for people who are remembering him from the beginning stages, because I didn't always go about introducing him to new things as well as I could have. And I wasn't very considerate in how I introduced him to showing and jumping because I wanted to rush and I wanted him to move at the same pace that other people's horses were. But their horses weren't rescues, they weren't mistreated, they weren't starved, they weren't stunted mentally and physically because they were too sick to be a young horse before. Um, and I dropped the ball on that. And it's something that I kind of just have to live through and like live with and try to make a difference in how I treat young horses now that were at the same developmental stage as he was when I screwed up and also how considerate I am of him now and how I treat him now. Um, and I just want to make that clear because I've had like I know there's a lot of people online that don't like me and that's fine you don't have to like me it's okay but you also don't have to intentionally mislead people with the information you put out about me with the purpose of trying to like degrade who I am as a person like people saying that I didn't care about his feet and that I thought his feet were awesome and we weren't addressing it that's not true we were addressing it it just wasn't as fast as it should have been, and we weren't as educated on the topic to advocate for him in the way that we should have. Um, and that's on us, but, like, to say that we didn't care was something we were actively trying to fix is just not true. And then, like, even with his stress behaviors, I had someone comment on one of my posts the other day and call me a hypocrite because I wrote this post about mares and saying, like, the whole mare stereotype, oh, she's just being marish, and how this results in a lot of mares getting obvious pain behaviors deliberately ignored because they'll get it written off as just them being bitchy. Um, which is true, and it's also not just mares that this happens to. It happens to all types of horses, but there's a distinct focus on mares as a specific gender for having these behaviors, which is misplaced and unfair. Um, so anyways, I had someone comment on that and be like, oh, you're a hypocrite because, like, Milo, like, Milo's just quirky when he does these things. And, like, I would say he's a quirky horse because he has trauma <laughs> that makes him quirky with stuff, but I would mean his quirks, like, 
the narrow doorways thing. That's a quirk um, because he'll periodically be okay with them and then he'll have spontaneous recovery of that fear or certain doorways that he's just less okay with. And that's just who he is. I call it a quirk because he has a fear that happened at a critical point of his life where he was young and nervous and it affected him because of when it happened and the trauma that he'd had at the time. And it's not something I'm motivated to try to work hard to fix it's something that I kind of cater to him and I'm understanding of I give him time to build up his courage I reward him for going through narrow stuff and if I can avoid it and make it more comfortable for him and take him a different way without extremely inconveniencing everyone then I'll do it and that's where I would say it was a quirk um, all of his bucking stuff and where he was like the crazy red horse that stuff was largely stress and anxiety related or related to the fact that he wasn't getting stimulated enough in turnout because he didn't have a enough space or he didn't have enough friends he didn't have enough enrichment or he had horses that he was out with that he just didn't really connect with um and it's taken him time to kind of develop a social repertoire because he was so sick in growing up like he was out with other horses but he was so malnourished that he wouldn't be properly interacting and his dam wouldn't have been having the energy to do normal things like most horses would with their foals where they're grooming them and interacting with them and teaching them all these new behaviors um so it's it's just like he he was at a loss because a lot of stuff like that so there are certain things that he was very socially inept towards um that took time to develop and learn and even now in a herd like he's still gonna be more likely to be food aggressive than another horse um so because he was starved and these are like those are what i would refer to as his quirks with regards to like his bucking and his stress reactions to claim that they weren't addressed or looked into or that we just wrote them off as quirks and never cared about them or considered the fact that it could be pain related is also untrue um, one thing that I want people to consider whether you like someone on social media or not what you're seeing them post is not everything that's going on in their lives I don't need to share every single time the vet comes out I don't need to share the date at which I booked my farrier to come out or my plans with the horses or every little issue that they're having I don't need to share that if it's a long-term soundness issue or something that's like happens that I can talk about and edu educate people on I will but I'm not gonna go hey guys guess what the vet came out today to do vaccines they vaccinated him they checked his teeth they floated his teeth oh also by the way we have x-rayed his back before and we've checked into all of these things to make sure they're not a behavioral issue caused by pain I don't need to share that repeatedly over the course of the seven years that I've had with this horse. But um, with that said, with his stress behaviors, like I've repeatedly done routine diagnostics on this horse just because for my own peace of mind, like even when he's not had problems, if I have the vet out and they have their x-ray kit, sometimes they'll just go, hey, can we do this just out of curiosity? I just want to make sure that there's not something there because I'd feel really fucking guilty if he had some type of chronic issue that was bothering him that I missed. So I will routinely do soundness things for that purpose because I don't want to be the person that out of my ignorance and the horse's willingness to work for me chooses to put them in situations that aren't fair in the same way that I did with dropping the ball on his hoof issues. And even with a horse like Banksy who's done nothing and I've known him since birth, I've had stuff x-rayed on him out of sheer curiosity to make sure I'm not dropping the ball or that he doesn't have a problem and 
um, stuff like that. And it's just something I do for my own peace of mind, but it's not something where the horse has like a clear problem that we're trying to diagnose and that there's an issue there. It's like for my own peace of mind and I don't need to share that stuff with everyone. But I like, I adore Milo, which I feel like is pretty clear from what I post on him. And I have been very dedicated to allowing him a voice and trying to communicate with him, which is why, like, anyone who meets him, if something's bothering him, he'll tell you. If he's itchy somewhere he can't reach, he'll tell you. He's very communicative, and he's very intelligent, and he's effective at figuring out ways to make people understand what he is trying to communicate, and I feel like that's because I've actually gone out of my way to try to listen to what he's trying to communicate, Um, and I don't always do things perfectly all the time, and it has definitely taken a lot of learning and growth to get to where I am now in my riding, and I wasn't always perfect, Um, and I fully acknowledge that, but what I do want to make clear is that I'm super invested in making sure my horses are happy and healthy, and a lot of the things that I do post, if I was once guilty of making that mistake, the entire purpose in me sharing it now is to say, hey guys, do not make the same mistake as me, because I used to get on mares who had behavioral issues, and I'd go, oh, like, there's, oh, she's just being a brat, oh, she's just in heat, she's being marish, and now looking back at it, I can go, no, there was, like, definitely a problem there that wasn't being addressed, and I feel guilty about that, and I don't want to do it again. Making mistakes in the past doesn't mean you're a hypocrite for choosing not to continue that cycle and continue making them. And that's why I make podcasts like this, because I don't need to share his hoof journey with anyone. It's not anyone's business to know each step that we have done with him to try to make him more comfortable and to try to address his issues. I don't need to share that. I could go about it in my own business and choose not to articulate it at all online or say anything that we've been doing with him. And I don't have to share it because it's my life. But the entire reason I choose to is because I think it's important and I think that there's a lot of power in, first of all, having a lot of people online that you can connect with and talk to and share information to. And on top of that, also, as a professional, I feel like it's my job to go, hey, professionals aren't perfect. They're not infallible. They can still make mistakes. They can still do things that they learn from and go, hey, like, even though I had some knowledge then, I've learned more now and I've changed my ways because of it. I don't want to make that clear to everyone. Like, there's no shame in changing when you get more information and choosing to better yourself as a rider or horse owner as you learn more. There's no shame in it. It doesn't make you a hypocrite for changing something that you erroneously believed in at some point and then learning how wrong it is and deciding to do better. If that's what normal people do, that's growth and it's something you should do even outside of the horse world with everything. Like there's a lot of shitty things. I used to believe in I used to be a very defensive and toxic person. Not that I'm not still defensive because I would say I'm still like a more defensive and closed off person. But I used to be way more reactionary. Um and it's taken time to kind of self reflect and get to the point where I'm comfortable sharing my mistakes and my issues. Um, that I've made and I'm still working on that but like I don't have any shame in admitting where I went wrong because like I used to be afraid to admit that because people were always constantly trying to find flaws in me online and it still happens to an extent but I've noticed it's happened less now that I admit to them because it doesn't give them power to point out a flaw if I'm just like yeah like that's what I learned from and I made that mistake and that's why I do this now Um, they have no power over me to say that because like their entire purpose in pointing out the flaws often wasn't for the betterment of the horse it was to try to degrade and insult me so now when you take that away from them and you go yeah like I did that um what's your point I'm doing this now because now I know better um 
there's no shame in personal growth. It takes power from those types of people away. So I want to share this information for people who often feel powerless or who feel targeted by people at their barn or online and feel like people have been cruel to them or who have been bullied and are scared to share things. They, um, they thrive off of that and they will use it to try to degrade you more. Like it's none of their business. Um, it's none of their business, like, what you admit to or grow from, you know? Like, someone trying to be like, oh, you used to do this, now you do this, you're a hypocrite. The only way that really holds true is if someone says something, like, one day, and then the next day they're doing the complete opposite, then that's where it's hypocritical. Or if they kind of move the goalposts around to suit them instead of experiencing growth over the course of months or years. I've pursued an education for the purpose of growing and learning as a rider and horse owner, and that has inevitably changed my views because of it. So the more I learn, the more horses I work with, the more case studies I get for behavior cases, and the more times I get to watch different horses and see how they interact and see how they respond to changes in management, different riding techniques, different equipment. It helps increase the wealth of knowledge I have to influence other situations that I might have reacted to poorly or gone about in not the best way prior. It allows me to like fine tune the tactics I use to address certain issues or my eye to address certain physical problems and so on and so forth. Um, and this is also why I work very closely with my vet. I would rather be safe than sorry, in all honesty, because like I have seen way too many accidents happen to like other people's horses. And even with my own horses, like George, who went downhill so fast when he died, um, Hindsight's 2020. You could go, hey, like I should have done this, this, and this. I should have done this faster and this, this, this. And like the only thing you can do is just learn from all the situations you have and try to do your best to change them. And that's why, like, I'm so on it with like calling the vet over things that some people might do the wait and see more for than I would because the situation isn't directly problematic in terms of the horse isn't bleeding out or dying. But, like, I'm paranoid now of, like, missing something and having my horse suffer because of it or dropping the ball on something and not calling soon enough and having it be a problem or not noticing a behavior, a soundness issue soon enough and having it be a massive problem because of it, which is why I'm constantly trying to learn and grow and reflect on things that I made mistakes on in the past. So the moral of this live is the fact that there's no shame in making mistakes and admitting to them and growing from them. There should be pride in personal growth and you should take pride in learning and developing as a person as you learn more. And anyone who tries to shit on you for that is immature and needs to grow themselves because there's no pride in being so rigid in your beliefs that even when you're presented with information that causes you to start reflecting on mistakes you've made or realize that they are mistakes to just choose not to address it and go into denial to protect yourself and to be right that is so immature and it just lacks growth um, and we should be trying to constantly grow for the benefit of our horses um, and that's kind of all I wanted to say so I hope that was like a good crash course on the hoof issues and my initial recording of this was actually longer but I just can't because now I've been doing this for like four hours because um, I wasted the entire time recording an episode that just never worked so um, 
Anyways, that's that. I'll be doing a video eventually, and I'll also be re-x-raying his feet over the next several months or so to kind of see where his soles are at now, so I'll keep you all posted. But hopefully all the bullshit that I've spent money on with his feet and my opinions on it might help people when deciding what to do with their horse's problematic feet and looking into other options. So that's my hope. I hope that like all of the labor that I have gone through to try to help Milo will help people make decisions without wasting as much money as I did. Um, so anyways, I'll post photos in the video when I eventually do it to give people a better idea, but this is just a basic rundown. And the long toe underrun heel is super common in a lot of horses, especially horses off the racetrack and stuff. And I personally think that the diet and the shoeing practices are behind a lot of people saying thoroughbreds have bad feet rather than the breed itself. It's like a really big problem. And a lot of the thoroughbreds you'll see coming off the track have gross feet that need to be addressed. Um, and there's just a lot of like misconceptions and just like people being ignorant of like how the hoof is supposed to grow and manage and what it needs to do to work most effectively. Cause I know I was super ignorant to that as well. And it's easy to ignore things that you don't, know and aren't aware of so anyways i hope this was helpful thank you for tuning in i've added a patreon option for anyone that wants to do a monthly subscription directly to the podcast on podbean if you're interested it starts at just as little as one dollar a month and i also offer like sponsorships for um, people that want to run ads on videos if they want to do that basically all the money from that just goes to helping me get equipment to better my ability to make good podcasts to support my education so i can continue learning and sharing information with you as i finish my courses and to support the horses so when I get horses from auctions or when I get behavior cases to work on and training horses it's basically just supporting my business so I can continue to grow and develop it and do things like what I'm doing with the anatomical bridles I'll be releasing soon um, because I'm working from this just on my own I don't have a lot of capital I can't take out a business loan because my credit is too new and I don't have family money to help me get the capital to do these things so a lot of the stuff that I try to do is high risk for me and it's worked out in some ways but it's a risk um, to put all my money into something without knowing if it'll have a good return um, and that's kind of where it gets problematic for like doing things so like the subscription services on the Podbean network which you can do directly through my podcast link or through my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash sdequus, E-Q-U-U-S. Both of those just serve the purpose to allow you to subscribe for a small amount of money if you so choose and have it help my ability to continue developing these things, developing my education and trying to push my business forward. And it's not that I'm asking you for handouts or donations. It's simply if you want to support the podcast and support what I'm doing with my life, that's fantastic. If you don't want to do that, all the power to you, put your money somewhere else. I don't care. Um, but I just wanted to plug it on here to let people know because I have some really big dreams and with the housing market skyrocketing and everything getting so expensive, it's very daunting to even consider the possibility that I could achieve them at all. And it seems impossible possible with that right now so I'm trying to buffer my platforms and do whatever I can to give myself the best chance to become one of the business people that hopefully gets some success without having massive capital that they get from like a family loan or a trust fund and so on and so forth because most businesses fail that's just the fact of the matter and it's very hard to start a business without a lot of money 
Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I'm trying to do with that. So stay tuned for my bridles and yeah, anything helps if you're interested in subscribing or yeah, promoting, um, milestone equestrian in any way to try to help me continue to develop it. Cause one day I would love to have the money to build my own barn so I can have control over the ethics of how the stalls and stuff are built, control over herds and herd management, and just do what I can to actually affect behavioral change in horses. Because if I have full control over my own facility, I can take on more difficult behavioral cases without having to cater to someone else and their property and their rules or having the property not be ideal and then having to funnel either all of my own money, which would be thousands of dollars and trying to better the property, which I rent and would have to leave everything there or just not do it at all and know it's not ideal. So that's my goal. Like my biggest goal, my life goal is to get a farm property and set it up how I think it should be for the horses. But I need the money to do that, which is why I'm trying to do all this stuff with my business and start getting into equipment and developing the things that I wish I could get for my horses that aren't currently available, making it affordable so people don't have to shell out a shit ton of money to get something or have to be really wealthy to be able to consider affording it. So I don't want my bridles to be like the $700 bridles or $600 bridles that people have to get or even $300 bridles. Too expensive. I want them to be accessible. And obviously horse stuff isn't cheap. And since I'm on a budget and I can't order in tons and tons of product, it means that my upfront costs are higher than what they would be if I was bringing in a ton of quantity, which is why I'm talking about all this, because, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do with my business. The more capital I have, the more product I can order and the more like cost effective I can make it for everyone else um, without totally screwing myself because I need to make sure I can afford to live and don't put out all this money into a business that's just going to crash and burn um, with the products and stuff and it's like unchartered waters so anyways that's how you can support if you're interested you can join either one for as little as a dollar a month and I also have on my YouTube on my Teespring shelf there's options to um, like buy a milestone like donation thing where you can pay like five dollars one time fee and get like a discount code for my products and stuff so anyways that's kind of what I'm going to plug keep listening to my podcast you can share them support my videos share my YouTube videos share stuff on my pages and honestly just being there and commenting and being supportive all that stuff helps you don't need to put any money in if you don't want to I just wanted to um, bring that to people's attention for anyone who is interested because I'm trying to get those bridles done as soon as possible but money 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 and difficult stuff like that is all playing a role so so anyways, I'm choking, sorry. Um, so anyways, thank you everyone for listening and I appreciate all your love and support and listening to the podcast, even though it's just me babbling for lengthy periods of time. I really respect the fact that people are interested in supporting that and I thank you. So thank you everyone. I hope this was helpful. Let me know what you think and yeah, I'll see you next time, whatever that is, because apparently my podcasts just don't want me to record them and I get so put